Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Okay, there's something special with a propeller plane. As a kid, I always loved Indiana Jones. And I admit it, to me, Indy is still in many ways the essence of adventures. I've hummed the theme song countless times. And Indiana always flew in with a propeller plane. Always. Either that or a inflatable life raft down a mountainside. And here I am in a propeller plane heading north. Adventure lies ahead in the sense that I don't really know what to expect. I'm about to meet up with Sigurdur Jonsson, captain of the sailboat Aurora Arctica, a man that I first saw in the fantastic Iceland episode from the Skier's Journey video series by Jordan Manley. My name is Magnus Ormestad and this is the Swedish outdoor podcast Husky. small town of Isafjordur, the Ice Fjord, a town of some 3,000 people in the northwest of Iceland, in the region called the Westfjords. Isafjordur lies nested deep in the fjord, with snow-covered mountains on both sides. The mountains are so close that it probably in theory would be possible to ski all the way from the top down to the city center. It's a beautiful town. The surroundings are unbelievable. The ocean, the mountains, but also the town itself where many of the wooden houses are more than 120 years old and painted in bright colors. When I arrive around lunchtime on Sunday, two things have happened. First of all, according to most of the Icelanders, spring has just arrived. Second, It has been snowing constantly for about a week. We throw my gear into Siggy's car and within one hour I'm putting the skins on my splitboard and together with the local backcountry community we get two nice runs in poor visibility but in great powder snow. This is also my first introduction to the very active, social and warm backcountry community of Isafjörder. Later that evening, I joined them for movie night at the local cafe Bredraborg that serves as kind of a headquarter and hangout for the visitors and locals seeking inspiration, company or just great food. I start talking to Caitlin, Ali and Cam, three Americans with a kick-ass camper van parked outside. So what kind of, uh, what kind of group is this? 
Uh, we're three skiers, photographers, writers, storytellers on an adventure through Iceland, uh, skiing and camping. Um, how come you ended up at the Westfjords? Um, I think I had seen some content coming out of this area um, from other people, but not much. And I think Iceland's been doing a really great job of promoting itself um, and its tourism. And this just seemed like one of the areas in Iceland that was least visited um, just because of where it is geographically. Um, and it did have some promising ski terrain. So um, those two things coupled together just made for a uh, good opportunity for us as skiers and people who were looking to create some content. But none of you had ever been here before? No. Nope. What was uh, like the first impressions coming here, coming to Iceland and coming up here, up north? Um, well, initially I... Um kind of have always felt like Iceland is kind of a last frontier in some ways. Um, the weather and winter um, is definitely still strong here. Um, and so initially getting here, I was I was kind of astounded with the rawness that we felt um, and the way that um, obviously we know that this country doesn't have a huge population, um, but it also has kind of some really raw and true people that are, um, uh, I think, really hardy and able to deal with adversity and then turn it into this positive thing. And so initially, actually, we got this mentality kind of overwhelming a lot of people telling us, oh, this is easy. Iceland is easy. Everything is so easy. And we actually found it to be um, pretty... Well, I don't even know how to put this in there because we have been enjoying it, but it's been... In some ways, it can be difficult. Um, building character. It, yeah, building character. Yeah, and so getting even getting to Isafjordur um, has been an adventure, and it's exactly what we signed up for. Uh, so what's your what's your setup here? You got a you got a massive trailer parked outside, <laughs> a camper, camper Iceland. Yeah, we've got the Dodge. Ram 1500. Of course, the favorite. Yeah, of course. Uh, yeah, with a, with a small camper on the bed of the truck. Um, so it came equipped with heat and two-burner stove and enough space for three people to sleep fairly comfortably. Um, I don't think it was quite a, ready to absorb all the massive amounts of gear we brought, so it's a little of a, a bit of a... Um, a logistical feat every day of like taking our gear out and drying it out and you know prepping it for for living in um, especially with the weather we've been having so considering it's summer as well at least that's <laughs> yeah. what the Icelandics keep telling us <laughs> the powder summer yeah um yeah. what's um what could you say about the like the the terrain how accessible has it been how what kind of terrain have you been riding Well, this weather has made it kind of difficult for us to really see the tops of some of these uh, zones where we'd like to go skiing. But the little bit that we have seen is extremely accessible right from the road um, and big. We're seeing lines that we'd like to ski and realizing that they top out at a pretty high elevation and something that looks aesthetically pleasing as well as challenging. Uh, then there's stuff inside these valleys that you can tour for a couple hours and then get to some zones that look like skiing I would really want to do. So once this weather breaks, I can't wait to tackle some of these objectives and, and ski some zones that just look like fun, really fun. Is your, uh, like your, your, your knowledge and your experience, is that enough? Or do you also work with, like, is it just maps and your experience that's enough or do you feel like you need uh, like written guides or uh, groups or anything yeah I think at this point the skiing hasn't really been touched enough and so skiing lines right from the road some are first ascents and that's pretty incredible so you don't need a map however there are some areas that offer some great skiing that are even further into these valleys off the road that I think with a guide and with the assistance you could really get into some zones that you can't do on your own without. So what's the uh, expectations and hopes for the next coming days? Uh, 
I've had the mentality of have no expectations but expect great things. So um, we're hoping that the weather breaks and we just get to really see the potential of the area and get on our skis because as of now we've been staring at them and uh, spending some time in the cafes but um, yeah to, to have some weather that at least allows us to get up and ski some couloirs I mean as Caitlin was just saying that the skiing just looks incredibly aesthetic and something that we're all very excited to do and ski right down to our truck and right leave right from the road so it'll be and fill it up with stinking stinking clothes oh, stinking clothes hopefully well i mean i think we've already achieved that but um <laughs> and we've only been sitting around <laughs> just wait till we yeah. start skiing uh-oh <laughs> it takes another day before i finally get aboard the aurora arctica aboard captain siggy explains a bit about life on board ah okay so, I'm just gonna do a quick safety housekeeping briefing. Um, first of all, close to your, close to all of your pumps are these kind of uh, life jackets in red pockets on the wall. So. Uh, if we are just motoring around quietly, you don't need to be wearing them, but if we are sailing and uh, we should be uh, wearing a life jacket. If I'm wearing a life jacket, it's a good hint that you should be wearing one as well. Uh, they, so they are all like this. You just uh, clip this one in here. Get this one under here, and there's uh, these lifelines are also in the pockets. You may not need them, but let's say if we are, if you want to be climbing onto the front when the boat is jumping around, you should be keeping your lifelines, and then you can clip onto things. For instance, there's a white webbing that runs all the way up and back that you can clip onto, so you can walk up and down the boat without unclipping. Or if you're sitting in the cockpit, you can clip onto some of the D-rings that are sitting in the cockpit. So it's a good thing to have. So these life jackets are automatic. So if you do fall in, they should pop up within a few seconds. If they don't, there's a toggle. But I put them kind of under the Velcro here. May not be the official way to do it, but you just tear open the Velcro and pull these toggles. I just want to keep them under here, otherwise they get accidentally pulled all the time. But this will usually pop up within a few seconds. If not, none of this works, there's also a, a tube that you can blow into and uh, blow it up. But most importantly, do not fall overboard. That's the number one. It's cold and wet, uncomfortable and unpopular. The days on the boat are just perfect, like just what I came for. The essence of the good and simple life. Breakfast. Hop into the Zodiacs for a day of ski touring and at least one long run in the untracked snow down to the waiting boat at a delicious dinner. With the boat we access the Hunstrandir nature reserve. In Hunstrandir I finally get to see the arctic fox for the first time. Kind of a big thing for me since it's almost extinct in Scandinavia. At the end of the week I sit down with the Siggy. The fjord lies still like a mirror around us. No wind, no clouds, just the birds and in the end even a barking fox. What can you uh, what can you say about this boat that we're sitting on, and and if you allow yourself to be very uh, sailing boat sailboat nerdy, what can you say about it? I don't know. For a sailboat nerd, I would say it's a it's an old-fashioned British kind of a boat. 
She was designed for uh, round-the-world race for amateurs. So she was designed to be very conservative. She's got a, yeah, she's got a very old-fashioned feel about it. Uh, but also... Uh, but uh, So Robin Knox Johnston, the guy I, I bought the boat from, he said that she was designed agriculturally, you know, strong for amateurs to, uh, to crash jibe in the Southern Ocean without damaging anything. So she's simple and strong. And I'm not that it's uh, sailboat nerdy, but I, I like to say that she's more like a Land Rover. She's not a Porsche, you know, she's more like a Land Rover. It's a working boat, more than a yacht. Uh, when you when you when you did find it, did you find the the boat the boat that you were looking for, or was it just convenient? Well, I wasn't even I wasn't actually even looking for a boat. It was a kind of a coincidence how everything happened. So I had basically had this in mind for probably 20, 30 years, and I had been doing similar trips on my own little boat for just my own. With my, my friends, we'd been going skiing and climbing and stuff from a boat. And I had moved back from Canada, and, but back from Isafer, and was working freelance for Canadian companies in shipbuilding projects. And then I met Robin Ostjonston, who was in Isafer with uh, Chris Bonington, on this boat. And we were sitting down below and having some chicken curry and beer and... And I suggested to Robin that he would leave the boat in Isafir because he had a crew to take her back to England. And uh, he said, well, yeah, okay, that's a good idea, you know, because he he had to go back. He couldn't get to Greenland. He had to come, come back later somehow and finish it. But then he said, why don't you just buy her? She's for sale. <laughs> you can, uh, you know, take her and do it yourself. So that, of course, nothing happened then, but that triggered that idea and I basically they left sailed back to England but that uh, gave me the idea to really go and look into it and I had some friends uh, with me and so we basically started to uh, make up some kind of business plan to see if we would actually go bankrupt on this or not and uh, so that's uh, eventually we decided to make an offer on this boat and buy her so it was uh, <coughs> It was more the boat came to me than uh, than me <laughs> finding the boat, you know. And that was back in 2000. And That's in 2005 in the spring in the summer of 2005. And the next winter we uh, kind of got it together and uh, picked her up in Portsmouth in uh, April and 2000, you, uh, 2006. And you you got to name the boat. Yeah, she was because she was used for the races. She she never really had to had the same name all the time. She had like sponsor names. And uh, yeah, Aurora is a is a good name. It's a it's a it's a woman's name in many languages, and it's a it's many famous boats that have had that name. And it's the rosy fingered goddess of dawn. So it's a beautiful name, I think. Fits to what we're doing. And uh, she's been around the world, what, four or five times. Yeah, so she was around the world in the race four times before I got her. So, yeah. She was, but in the warm places mostly. <laughs> <laughs> um, but about warm places, you're you are not from a warm place. Some, no. Sometimes it's warm, I guess, a bit. Yeah, and I'm, I'm from. So I'm basically born and and raised here and lived most of my life here. Oh, and here is Isafjord. Yeah, in the west fjords of Iceland, in Isafjord. So yeah, I would probably. You're right. That's probably not a a warm place. Do you go? Uh, do you go long back in the West Fjords, your family? Yeah, actually, my family goes uh, many generations in in the town of Isafjord. Actually, it's maybe a bit unusual. But... What kind of uh, what kind of town is it? Well, it's primarily a fishing town, and. Uh, it's still very much a fishing town. It's still like Isafjord is a, is also a service center for the area. But it's uh, first and foremost the West Fjords are based on fishery, and and I I was uh, working in shipyards, 
or in shipbuilding and this kind of projects, you know, when I was younger. And that's what I did uh, also after college. <coughs> but what was it like growing up in, in a place like Isafjörden? I thought it was always fantastic. And uh, somebody... I thought I lived in the center of the universe, really. And I still, you know, I was 20 years old when somebody pointed out that there was a small fishing village. I, <laughs> I, did, I had no idea. I thought it was, you know, I was always talking about, you know, it was like us and then there was maybe somebody in Reykjavik, but mostly like New York, London, Paris, you know. <laughs> we were, you know, we who lived in these cities, you know, these metropolis. Uh... So I always thought I lived in the, one of the major cities of the world. And in a way, I kind of still think so. <laughs> you can put the, I mean you could put the center of the universe wherever you put your finger you know yeah so if you and Isafjörd has always been a a kind of a cultural hub and it's been bigger than it is really not not only you know in people's mind you know people have always imagined it a little bit bigger than it is it's been a very rich culture of music it's been a skiing town, of course, but in basically still a fishing town. Because we uh, now, I, I I'm glad to say I have first-hand experience of it. But it's actually a town where you can ski, like right almost from the middle of the middle of the city. You can you can go skiing more or less. So is yeah. that has that always been like a, a, a big part of it growing up there? The winter. Yes, yeah, I think so. I mean, it's. Uh, not necessarily skiing, but you know, for me, it's it's always been something about the combination of the water and the mountains. So always, I always been around boats in some way. You know, my father had small boats. I used to go kayaking, and then we had sailboats, and I used to work in a shipyard. So I was always around the sea and the boats. And then also, there's a rich kind of a skiing culture in my family. I was never really a very good skier, but I was always. Skiing, and I was very much in in the mountains. You know, a lot of camping and climbing and stuff. So everything was very accessible. You know, within you know ten minutes, you could be in ice climbing above the town, or another ten minutes the other way, you would be out kayaking. So I think, yeah, it was a very important part of uh, my life. And it's it's never was like when it comes to like identity, for instance, like like choosing between the waters, the oceans, or the or the mountains and stuff. It was it was always like a combination of both. Uh, yeah, for me and many of my friends, it was never really any conflict. You know, of course, there's a lot of people that are, you know, come from the skiing background and they never had anything to do with the sea. But uh, I think. For me and many of my friends and family, we were always linking these two things together. And, and also, uh, I think, uh, yeah, I think it's, uh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, I guess this could be a very uh, uh, difficult question, but um, like where, is there any place that you feel more at home? And also, like if you're, say you are, you are sailing in a coastal area, but far away from the mountains, and vice versa. If you're in the mountains, but you you, you kind of lack the, the 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 closeness of of water and oceans, is that something that you uh, you consider? You think about? Yeah, I, actually. So I, I for instance, I moved to Denmark. I went to to college in Denmark. I studied uh, like naval architecture in Denmark. So I lived there for uh, four years, and. Uh, I definitely missed the mountains, and I felt like like fish out of the water in a way. You know, I, I've never felt really at home there, and and there was a lot of things missing. It was nice and cute, you know. Denmark is organized and cute, but it's not very exciting. And uh, yeah, I, I needed I needed that connection to you know to the mountains and the sea. What is what is the the excitement? What is excitement for you? What did you miss? Um, I I kind of missed a little bit the same things from the from the nature as from the people. It's a bit on you know unstructured, unorganized, impulsive uh, environment, and I think Icelanders are still struggling to get into the kind of the modern uh, society 
because we are used to, uh, and even more when you get out into the rural parts of Iceland, like Isafjörður, you are, you're very much, I guess we could say maybe in tune with the with the nature is that the n- nature rules, and uh, that means that nature always has the last word. It doesn't matter if you're flying to Reykjavik, if you're driving to Reykjavik, if you're organizing a wedding party or whatever, if you're organizing anything, you can do all your best in any organizing, but it's always the nature that's going to have the final word. And uh, and it, I think it does create... If people, if people get used to it and get comfortable with it, I think they develop a kind of a stoic attitude towards uh, their environment and life, and and it's uh, so the weather is bad. Okay, that's not. I mean, there's nothing we can do about it. We'll just deal with it, and uh, and uh, be, and uh, you know adapt to it. And that attitude also goes into you know other things in life. Is that. You know, you you, uh, you develop some kind of a stoic attitude towards you know these things, and uh, you kind of relaxed about it. But then, on the other hand, you have to be a bit impulsive. Okay, the sun is shining. We have to do something. You know, we have to take in the hay, or we have to go fishing because the good weather is good. So we have to seize the opportunity. And and that is uh, so. It, it goes all away from nature, but it also goes down into what people. Uh, and and one one of the th- one I think that's one of the things that have been uh, a bit of a problem for Icelanders in the modern, you know, economies like running banks and stuff. People thought they could, you know, <laughs> they went straight from being fishermen to running banks, and they thought they could run the banks in the same way, you know, just be very good, you know, good at the work and work, 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 and but not really look at the long term, slow strategies and organizations. And of course, it didn't work. Well, didn't work so well. <laughs> <laughs> so that's part of the uh, explanation for the like 2008, 2009 crash. Could be that uh, uh, the the influence of nature or something. Yeah, I think so. I think it has. I think that little uh, impulsiveness in people definitely had an impact. Is that you? If you are a fisherman, when the fishing was good and the weather was good, you really have to work hard and make tons of money because maybe next year. It would all collapse, and then you just you you had to be, then you had to survive. So the whole economy in Iceland has been a roller coaster, up and down with the fishery for the longest time. Of course, now it's much more stable. We have tourism, we have all kinds of other industries that are very stable. But, but back, people back came into was, this banking, you know. I think money people, was good, so they like did everything they could to. Yeah, you you, you were, you know. <laughs> You were working hard and, and spending the money when you had it because maybe tomorrow you didn't have it. Um, but has that have, have you experienced this clash for yourself? Like you already said, you, you've been living in Denmark and you've been living in the US. Uh, have you experienced this clash firsthand? Like, did you find it a bit more difficult to adapt to these? Yeah, I, I find it very difficult, and I basically now I'm. I'm older and more mature, and I just basically said, okay, I'm not going to adapt. I'm just going to live where I can do it my way. I'm not going to try. I, I can't live in Denmark. There's no way because I can't adapt to this kind of environment. I can't live in these, you know, structured, steady European countries that are so organized and, and, and settled. I just can't deal with that kind of environment. So I'm just going to live where I can, you know, do do what I want to do and... How, how come you ended up in uh, Newfoundland? Well, there was a, a kind of a coincidence. I started to go... Uh, so I was working in a shipyard in Isafjörður for many years, and then I worked for a company making fish processing machinery. And I started in probably 97, 98, I started to go to Canada to uh, set up uh, fish factories, shrimp factories mostly, and all kinds of projects. And then... Eventually, we decided to set up a daughter company for an Icelandic company, a little stainless steel machine shop in St. John's in Newfoundland. So I moved. I basically took that project on and moved there for a year to set up the shop. And after I set it up and I hired some local guys to run it, uh, one of my biggest clients offered me a job to uh, restructure a fleet of fishing trawlers 
So I moved over to that company, a big Canadian. It was at that time the biggest fishing company in Canada, a huge company. Did you feel at the time that you were taking a risk, like leaving Iceland behind for a moment, putting it on pause, and then no, no, take no, something no. on? Never really. I mean, I've always, I mean, I mean, I, I kind of looked at it as a temporary project. It, uh, which, it, which it was in a way. I was always hired on a temporary basis, and kind of a project basis. So I, I, in a way, I never looked at it that I had actually moved. I thought, okay, I'm just going to go away for a while, but I'm on my way back, you know. Uh, <laughs> what did you find in uh, in Newfoundland, except for 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 except work-wise, like with the uh, with the society and the nature and everything? Well, nature is in some ways similar to here. The people are fantastic, really nice culture. You know, the people are really nice. They have their own political issues, and they have a lot of interesting dilemmas with their connection with Canada. You know, they they are still kind of a little like a little British colony, and and maybe a little independent country that has kind of been sucked into Canada. So they are struggling quite a lot in finding their place within Canada. But uh, absolutely fantastic people, and uh, I, I enjoyed every day that I was there. And I, I kind of, I miss it a little bit. You know, I miss the people, and I miss the connection with Newfoundland. But uh, yeah, it was it was a great experience. I had my family there. My kids went to school, and it was just fantastic. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. But is that um, a kind of a rebellious attitude that you are, that, that you find yourself attracted to, interested in? No, not at all. I don't look at it at all that I'm rebellious. <laughs> I think I'm quite, uh, but I've, but I've more and more tried to do my way, do things my way, you know, and do what I like. And I've also encouraged my kids to basically follow their hearts and do exactly what they like to do and. And the in the way that they like, of course. But if you want to do that, you you have to be responsible. So if you want to be free, you have to be responsible and free. You can't just be, you know, rebellious in a way. It's not. So I don't really look at this any. I I think I'm a, a fairly uh, quiet citizen of, of my uh, community. But but I, I really like to do things my own way. And but I'm willing to take that responsibility. And to do it in a in a proper way that it doesn't harm other people and and uh, so yeah. So it kind of came came uh, natural for you in a way to to start your own business, like to be your to be your own boss. Yeah, in a way, I've always so I'm so I'm uh, a naval architect, but uh, I've 
But you have for, been, work, for, you for have some, been working as that. You have been working. Yeah, I, I've been working that. But but for some reason, I always got kind of sucked into some kind of a management functions every now and then. I I hated it. I didn't <laughs> like the money. I don't like the business part of it. I really don't like the business part of it. But repeatedly, I got I kind of got sucked into business part of it. I. The ship, uh, shipyard went bankrupt in Isafjörður and I ended up being a director of a new shipyard and managing it for a few years. In Newfoundland, I came on as an engineer, but I ended up being a director of fleet operation with like a $60 million dollar, uh, trawler operation and like a few hundred people working for me. So I got sucked into kind of a management, like a business management things, but I never, I was never interested in the, the business part of it except as a project i i try to i try to do it properly like to establish a vision and then kind of reach it yeah i i i i i looked at it okay i have to do my i have to do a good job but i'm not in it because i'm interested in making money and stuff you know i'm just interested in fulfilling my work and doing it properly is that something that you can connect to uh like your your outdoor activities like going on uh going on not expeditions but like going on uh, um, like tours and, and, and climbing and stuff in some ways yeah maybe because I think it's it's all about you are I you know the same in my business now now I'm totally independent in, in a way that I'm operate I own Aurora and I operate her and and it's um, it's very important I think is to link the responsibilities with the authorities in a way so you have i have full power over what i'm doing i have full uh, i can do whatever i want but it comes with responsibility and the same thing is if you're climbing a, a, a difficult route you're sailing across an ocean you're free and independent but you're never free and independent if you're not responsible at the same time so it has to come together i think um what's your relation on What's your relation to uh, taking risks, being in danger, being scared? Yeah, I, I don't think I'm taking. A, I'm not really. I have never. I think I'm. I, I, I thought about it quite a lot, and I've asked. I'm asked about it quite a lot, but I have never seeked danger. I've done a lot of different things. You know, a lot of climbing, a lot of sailing in. in bad weather and uh, and difficult conditions but I'm, it's never been for the sake of seeking the risk I've always thought that I was uh, I'm I think I'm re- pretty careful <laughs> and uh, I think you can do a lot of very potentially dangerous things just by doing very you know you have to be just not careful and so I'm not seeking the the thrill of danger but I'm But I'm I'm still drawn to the just the thrill of the unknown, in a way more so than the actual danger. So just going across to Greenland when it's full of ice, or especially going across back home in the fall when it's really stormy. I'm not so. I I don't think I'm afraid, but I'm very excited. You know, I feel that I'm excited. You know, and it's uh, you know you always double checking everything and so it's uh, I don't know where maybe uh, maybe I'm afraid but <laughs> I feel like I'm it's because I'm very you know excited about it do you do you guests feel the same bouncing around the, in the boat being seasick ah <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think I've been with a lot of people that have felt that we were doing something dangerous <laughs> but I don't I've never had anybody actually totally panic <laughs> with me I think Probably people have some confidence in what I'm doing. I don't know. Uh, what's your What's your vision with uh, with your business, with what you're doing? Well, what that's do you a... offer? Like, <laughs> yeah. To, to begin with, what What is your business idea? Yeah. Well, my business idea is pretty much to to give people possibilities to come out and play outside with me, you know, and my friends. So it's it's not necessarily about skiing, it's not about sailing, it's not about kayaking, it's not about these things, but it's about being outside in a kind of an autonomous way, you know, you're on a boat, you can you have you have the freedom to go different places that you can't access the other way. 
any other way. And you are, yeah, basically I like to offer people that opportunity to come out and play with me. And uh, that's that's really the core, I think. Um, if you if you look at the customers that you have, what do you hear from them? What 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 is it uh, with this operation that 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 customers appreciate the most? Do you think? I think that I think most people appreciate like a personal that personal attention and and connection, and to be you know to be shown some interesting things. It's not like I said before. It's it's not. They're not. They're not going to go back and say this was the best skiing in my life, but they're going to say, okay, this was fantastic skiing, but it was also the food was great, or the conversation around the table was really interesting, or or we heard some you know nice stuff. You know, we saw some foxes, or the birds were great, or and that whole package all has to come together, in my opinion. Um, I also asked you the other day if, as a sailor, are you, don't you, because in, in what I thought that if you if you are a sailor and if you own a boat, you want to sail around the world, but you said no, and you said you'd rather just, no, I forgot exactly what you said, but you you'd rather just uh, experience the. Uh, yeah, I'm now, so now I'm. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it's the it's because I'm older and uh, whatever. But I am more and more interested in going, let's say, deeper rather than wider. So I'm not interested in sail in, in sailing around the world, but I'm really interested in exploring more and more about areas that are relatively close to me. You know, my I, I when when I started this operation, I I remember one once I I kind of put like a. A ruler in the middle of uh, Isafur and said, "Okay, I'm gonna play in about like a four or five hundred mile radius around home. You know, I'm not gonna. That's gonna be my home grounds, and that includes most of Greenland, sp- specifically East Greenland. It, it's Jan Mayen, it's the Faroe Islands, Scotland. You know, it could even be down to the Azores, but that's kind of my home radius. And I'm more and more, you know, uh, even the fjords that we are in skiing here, I never grow tired of it." You know, and every trip is a little different. There's no trips exactly the same. You always see something new, something a little bit different. And like East Greenland is just an absolutely fantastic wilderness area. What is it with what is it with Greenland? I've never been there, but everyone who who has been there or has been working there. Is yeah, the same I think thing. yeah, it's a. I think for Greenland, it's a, it's the whole for me. It's the whole combination of the the this wild nature. Which has that combination of uh, very little vegetation, big mountains, a lot of ice, and really wild area with maybe not so much wildlife, but some interesting uh, encounters with bears and seals and whales and stuff. But but for me, just as important is the history of the the culture of the people. You know, the Inuit or the Greenlanders' culture. And the way they've lived there for you know thousands of years, and it's very very interesting, I think. And that combination of 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 uh, exploring the land with the thought about the people who have been there before, you know, I think that's absolutely fantastic. And and it, another interesting thing is that it's so close to us, like Isafjord is the closest port to East Greenland. So yeah, said, on a, it's like today, 30 hours, yeah. like it's about 30 hours away. And if we go out today. In about ten hours, we're going to be stuck on the ice. But it's uh, but it's so different. There's nothing like Iceland. It's just everything is totally, totally different. And um, go like just looking around us. Uh, at the, it's 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 uh, uh, it's almost difficult to to explain. We're sitting in the in the front of the uh, Aurora Arctica and, and doing this interview, and it's. Uh, uh, like uh, it's not a not a cloud in the skies, and it's a setting e- late setting evening sun, and there's birds flying around us, and it's uh, it's just you know it's it's almost too good to be true. But what can you say about the Westfjords, about your home, your home home area, your backyard? Yeah, the Westfjords are. I mean, for a longest, I mean, people have lived here for a thousand years, and but it's always been a, kind of the extreme. 
outer edge of Iceland in a way, you know, and people have been in very living here in really, really remote little cottages and uh, in like subsistence farming. And, and it's only in the last 60, 70 years that people really started to collect into villages. And it was a booming uh, time, like in the 70s, it was pretty, you know, it was a good boom in the fishery and uh, the villages was building up. But then with the reduction in the fishery and the changing politics around the fishery, a lot of these villages have lost a lot of their quote, fishing quotas. So uh, so now, I mean, the population of the whole West Fjords is only like six or 7,000. Uh, maybe 100 years ago, there would have been maybe 13, 14,000. So it's been, uh, the West Fjords have been struggling in many ways, you know, by depopulation. Isafjord has been relatively stable point because it's been really the only big town. And uh, so, and it has been a, a relatively stable town in the, in the whole turmoil, but it's still uh, a, 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 an area that has been struggling uh, by people moving away and not, having, not finding jobs and stuff. But on the on the other hand, it's a wild nature, and it's that fjordscape with the uh, sea and the mountains all clo- always close together. There's pr- practically no flat land anywhere. It's, you're always pretty much straight from the mountains to the sea. And it's not even like the the area area where we are now. It's it's only accessible by by boat or by foot. Yeah, so so Hornstrandir, this nature reserve that we are in now, is uh, the last people moved away from that whole peninsula in the 1940s and maybe the 1950s. We actually see some some houses. Yeah, this is Hesteri there, and uh, the last people moved away in the 1950s, and in the end there was a few families left, and they just had a like a town meeting, where they all decided together to move away, to close the village. But uh, like 30 years earlier than that, or 40 years, there was a whaling station just around the corner there, uh, which uh, you know gave a lot of uh, employment to the local pe- people. But this, they at that time they probably realized that this would never be linked to the mainland with any good road connections. It didn't have the proper harbor facilities, and it didn't really have a nature, you know, the natural. Uh, landscape to facilitate good harbors so it was pretty obvious that this would probably never never survive that as a like a future community so people ended up moving away and now it's just nature that uh, rules here but i mean still in, I, i just learned this weekend talking to your son actually that uh, there's villages that on the map are like close to each other but still like during the almost like seven or nine months a year they cannot almost get to each other because the roads are closed over the mountains. Yeah, yeah. So it's still a highly uh, separated and remote landscape. It's it is, yeah. Yeah. Um, what are the, the, the changing of the seasons in this area? What is it? What happens and what does it mean? Well, I mean, here is a... I mean, the winter is is really rough, especially here in Hornstrand. It can be even worse than over in Isafjord. So it's just in the winter nothing is happening here it's dark you know the the middle of the winter is is pretty dark and stormy so uh, but then just springs like spring will just kind of jump out you know in a like th- four weeks from now grass will just come almost green from underneath the snow and uh, flower wildflowers and the birds are going to be everywhere and it's it's amazing energy in the in the nature that short summer And then, you know, it could start snowing again in September. <laughs> so it's really two or three months of, you know, really powerful summer. Uh, and we've uh, we've done some, we've had some fantastic days uh, on the boat this week. What Can you, like, summarize, like, what's, what we have been doing here? Well, this week started off with a bit of a stormy weather. And uh, we are quite used to stormy periods coming any time of the year almost but this has been a very long cold period now this has been like two weeks of proper winter weather and now it's like uh, it's still minus degrees and it's fresh snow and it's but but it's uh, it, it also offers some opportunities you know we've been doing it's some served, great great skiing you know we we've been doing a little bit of powder and so it's been great, good skiing and what do you 
What do you expect for tomorrow, the, the, the last working day of the week? Yeah, it looks like a great day. I think it looks it's going to be similar to what it was today. And actually the next, you know, foreseeable forecast is, uh, seems to be relatively calm. Not necessarily so sunny, but uh, pretty good, uh, easy weather. Do you have a do you have a clear vision like where you want to take this company like in the in the coming years? Yes, I think no. Well, I don't know if I could say that I have a clear vision, but uh, I have a I want to continue roughly in the same path that I've already been laid. You know, I think I'm I would be very interested in doing more of the you know spending maybe more time in Greenland doing a little bit more of the exploration you know going to some new places but it's uh but it's it's going to be it's not going to it's not it's not like a big business that has a very strategic plan you know it's it's mostly about you know me and my family and my friends and one day we may decide to take a u turn and do something totally different but at the moment i think it's all about operating a boat or two boats or whatever we're going to end up with and exploring this area, kind of the North Atlantic, uh, our home grounds. And Thank inviting some people out to play with us. <laughs> Sounds like a plan. Thank you so much. And the fox is barking. And the fox is barking behind us. Oh. <laughs> Thank you. Right. We come back to Isafjordur just in time for the Fossavatn Ski Marathon, a cross-country race ranging from 10 up to 50 kilometers. end up talking a bit to one of the older participants and a visitor from afar. No problem. So who are you and where are you from? My name is Peter Hoffman. I live near Toronto in Canada, a place near Waterloo, uh, famous, famous university there. Uh, how come you, you uh, ended up here in the, in the West George? Well, uh, I always wanted to visit Iceland because I enjoy... Um, maps and I like the north, Vikings, all those things, Inuit, but it was very expensive until about 2007 and then in Dublin, I have a big story here, we were uh, caught by the volcano actually in, in Dublin in 2010. Oh really? So I looked again and I said, oh it's not so expensive anymore and so this is actually number five time, it'll be number six on the way back, we're, we're going to Westman since 2011 that my wife and I my wife doesn't ski anymore but and I, I've done a lot of world office I'm getting very old now so I actually I'm only doing 25 kilometers anyway next question <laughs> so, so what's your impression of, of, of the area coming here well East Fjordor particularly is very beautiful in fact the whole the whole island and fortunately my wife loves it too she doesn't like the cold quite so much as I do but so we've been around the ring road. We're going to do it again this time, and we've been many places, but there's still some, like Westman Islands, and we never went to um, the Big Waterfall near Mivatten. We'll probably go there this time if the road is okay. So it's just fantastic. They have the phrase, a little bit impolite, that Iceland is the a geologist's wet dream, and uh, I, that's true, I'm sure. I'm not a geologist, although my father was a mining engineer, so I'm quite interested in that. But what is it with the, with, what is it with the nature and everything that, that attracts you with, with this place? Well, just about everything. I, I suppose the mountains. We always visit mountains in many places, New Zealand and Switzerland and so on. Um, and, and actually, for a mountain country, the driving is... Much of the driving is quite easy. Some is a little... Uh, interesting, like near La Trobiarg last year, and we actually lived uh, near um, um, Snæfell Jökull for in a cottage for eight weeks last year. So not just six times, but many many weeks in Iceland actually. And, and what about uh, this cross-country skiing? What what, what 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 do you like about it? 
Well, I started only really, uh, I mean, a little bit as a teenager, but hardly any when I was in my 30s. And I just, I like the people, especially at events like this, at races. So I, when I was younger, I, I did more races, but I, I'm still doing it quite a bit with the Masters skiers in Canada. I just like the people very much. Everybody's so, uh, you know, we compete on the course, but, but people help each other. And uh, that's, and I like the winter. I, I think that it's probably close to the best exercise there is. So there's many things. And, and having a few races means you try to stay in shape. I roller ski in the summer. Uh, so that's basically, but I only started racing when I was almost 50, really racing, not just going in events. And I think I'm pretty much finished trying to race and just enjoy the events now. Have you been to Vasa Loppet in Sweden? Well, in 1988, I did the Oppet Spar. I didn't do the Vasa Loppet itself. Uh, it, it was back in the 80s when I did many of these World Loppets in Europe. Um, and I haven't, except for Norway, where we have friends who are almost like family. They're not actually family near Oslo, Oscar go there often so I've done the Norwegian Birkebeiner maybe four times and caught by the no race with a wind a couple of years ago not last year but the previous time um, but I haven't I haven't I've lived I've been through Sweden once or twice but I've only done Vasilov at once you get a favorite race well of course I do the Canadian Canadian now probably 20 times I've done the 50k there but it's not necessarily my favorite it's sort of different because I live there I think maybe Norwegian Bergebiner, even though I am very bad at climbing and classic, I'm better skating and better flatter courses, but it's a challenge. I'm, I, I was never good enough to get the pin there, but, you know, I, 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 I like it. I like so what do you feel for, for today, the race today? I'm sorry, what? Uh, what's your feelings for the race today with the weather? Well, I'll take it easy at first. I've had a little bit of trouble with, with uh, my abductor and back or something i want to make sure that's not bad but this looks fine you know as long as it doesn't get windy i think i think wind is probably a big problem here because of no no trees and it looks like it'll be good just before i fly back to reykjavik i get to participate in something that serves as the perfect example of how alive and active the backcountry community is in such a small town as Isafjordur. A local initiative to introduce and educate the teenagers of the town to backcountry skiing. Even though this particular session was meant to be girls only, they were kind enough to make an exception for the podcasting Swedish dude. What's your name? Camilla. Um, why did you end up at Isafjordur? I came here three springs ago skiing. I had some friends over this way and I did a little bit of reading and I found out you're right by the ocean and there's a mountain there. So it sounded like my kind of place. So I, I came and I stayed around for a bit and then I left for about six months and then I, I came back and decided that I wanted to make this my home base. Uh, what's your, like, briefly, like, what's your history? Because you've been around some skiing. Yeah, I grew up in England, but then I moved to Switzerland at 15, so I was in the mountains then. And then I, um, yeah, I just kind of enjoyed the winters and skiing, so in the summer I'd be like, well, what am I doing? And then I ended up going to Argentina, so I could kind of feel the, the skiing in the winter. The never-ending winter. The never-ending winter, Yeah. And then it was a lot of ski touring too, rather than just, you know, skiing resorts. I just like the cultures and the travel through skiing. Yeah, doing ski touring with horses in South, South America, I've heard. Yeah. Just out there, like, I mean, we're lucky and unlucky here that there's no trees. So you can just drive and park and, you know, you climb up anything. Whereas down there, there's a lot of forest and a lot of, like, longer approaches. So we'd go out for a few weeks with horses and camp and also like you can only carry so much food and tents so yeah that's why we use the horses out that way um what what was the uh, purpose of today's little exercise um well i spent a lot of time in the alps so i'm used to seeing all the young people out skiing and when i first came here i realized that there's no one else out skiing which was 
was great. I mean, you've got the whole mountains to yourself, but I think it's important that the young kids realize like what they've got on their doorstep. And they're motivated. They're all cross-country skiers, so they're trained six times a week. You know, they've got the fitness, but they just don't have anyone to take them out. So I think it's... Um, it's fun to see who's interested, and yeah, it seems to be that there's people wanting to do it. So, but this was the uh, the first the first event. Um, we took some girls out the other day, and they were the ones from the downhill like ski ski mm. team. So, mm. these girls today were from the cross country team. Mm. So, well, what's the uh, like the long term ambition for this? Uh, just to keep do it, trying to do it as much as possible, and hopefully these girls will then inspire the younger girls, and just like a a chain effect. Uh, I want to see young people doing stuff. Like, it gets a bit depressing when you're the only person out and just trying to motivate yourself. Like, I mean, the weather can be terrible here. So, you know, there's only so much skiing in the rain you can do alone. Whereas if you've got people with you, then it's like, it's fun. Um, also, I have to ask you, because I, I, as an as an outsider, yeah, what's it like getting getting into the Isafjordur community and the, the backcountry and the outdoor community? Um, so when I first came, I was with a Borea, a guides company. We were staying out in a farmhouse. And when I was staying out there, I thought it was a cool project. So I volunteered my time to help. So I feel, yeah, I just got in with the community. I met the first intros and it's a very small community of outdoor enthusiasts. So they're very responsive for people coming in. Like I am now, like I'm localish now and when anyone comes to ski I'm very happy to take them out because I think otherwise you're alone seems like a very uh, <laughs> seems like a very uh, alive and like closely tight-knit community though um like in a good way I mean yeah it's in a good way and I think the way we are like geographically located we've kind of on our own little island out here we can be you know this winter's been a really tough winter like the flights haven't been going the roads have been closed so we are like this little Yeah, there's a little world to ourselves. So, you know, before, like, if you're in a ski town, you can find the people who you're exactly alike and hang out with them. But here, you know, there's only a few people, so you end up meeting people that you probably wouldn't normally be friends with, and it opens your eyes to lots of different worlds, and we try to encourage each other with different sort of passions and hobbies. So it's pretty cool. So what does the rest of your season look like? Um, well, it seems to be never ending. <laughs> I was skiing in October and like down in Chile and now I'm like, yeah, it's been a long winter. I'm just hoping it we get some spring days because we haven't really. But I've got friends coming out at the end of May, so it'd be fun to uh, for it to still be good snow then. But I assume, yeah, I think June will still be skiing and stuff too. It depends what happens with the weather. But, yeah. days on the aurora arctica was the experience i was looking for skiing will not get much better than this with the floating headquarters packed with skis kayaks and stand-up paddle boards and with siggy at the helm there is simply no better way to experience the mountains and the fjords i'm also very grateful to have discovered the wonderful town of isafjordur where people live their lives not even owning a key to their own house. Where the local ski resort opens up the lift just for you, offering you two hours of non-stop powder skiing. This is a place for anyone brave or wise enough to hop off the daily routines and spend a week or a couple of months in the lovely town of Isafjordur, where skiing, friendship and adventures lies just around the corner. If you listen to this episode using the Acast podcast app, you will also see some pictures and links along the way. Find out more about this episode and about the Aurora Arctica at huskypodcast.com. You can also find me on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at the handle Husky Podcast.
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 